everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Have you ever mixed someone up in a seriously embarrassing way? Have you ever thought somebody was somebody that they weren't? For me, I can think of a couple times, maybe some of you, if you go on a trip down memory lane, can relate to this. Uh, I was sitting in elementary school, and I did the thing that all elementary school kids wish they never had done. I raised my hand, and I said, and what I wanted to say was, Miss Baker, what's the answer to question number four? But instead, what came out of my mouth was, Mom, what's the answer to question number four? I called my teacher mom. None of us want to be there. None of us want to be there. Uh, Anybody else ever make that mistake in middle school, high school, elementary? It would be really embarrassing in high school. Really embarrassing in high school, but happened to me in elementary. Another time that I can think of is at my, uh, the church that I worked at in the States, my job was the first impressions pastor, so my goal was to meet as many of the new first-time guests as possible. So I went up, uh, and it was quite a large church, about 3,600 to 4,000 people that would walk in every weekend. So because of that, sometimes it was a little bit tough to remember the names, right? So I go up very confidently, sure that I had never met this person before, and I put out my hand and I said, hey, I don't think we've ever met before. My name's Austin. And they look at me, not, not a smile on their face, and say, yeah, I've been coming here for six months. You gave me a tour of the church. <laughs> it's easy to mix people. No, maybe this one hits home for people. I think that in uh, the coming months, it's going to be very easy as the masks start to come off to realize how well we're not acquainted with one another's lower half of the face. <laughs> I think... I think for me, I've, I've shared with a couple different people that I almost feel like I'm going to need to reintroduce myself uh, because it's just going to be a little bit easy to mix people up as the masks come off. It's easy to mix people up in life, but I think the truth that I want to hammer home today is that sometimes I think it's easy for us to mix up Jesus as well. It's easy for us to forget who Jesus truly is, and that's why I'm so excited about this series that we're in, and really, this is my favorite topic. When Pastor Joel came and asked me if I wanted to speak about Jesus, I said, of course, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's changed my life. I know he's changed many of your lives, and that the Jesus is the absolute best thing that we can talk about. So I'm very honored to be able to share today, and that being said, I think that we would all agree that sometimes there is misconceptions about Jesus. Sometimes our culture has different thoughts about Jesus, different pictures of Jesus. A couple of them are a little bit trivial. I think of hippie Jesus. Uh, He's somewhat popular. You'll see him every now and again, two thumbs up, smiling, Uh, never never a bad thing to say. Second thing, I've seen this uh, shirt before. It's Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen those shirts before. Uh, Sometimes our culture depicts him as our homeboy. Uh, Thirdly, has anybody ever seen the musical Jesus Christ Superstar? Jesus Christ Superstar. I've got to warn you, it's a little cringy, in my humble opinion. It's uh, Jesus, uh, long hair, flowing robes, singing throughout. Jesus Christ Superstar is a very uh, popular film. It uh, made $250 million when it was a Broadway musical. So a very popular depiction of Jesus. Sometimes we have these misconceptions. The next picture that I want to show you is throughout history, these are the different pictures of Jesus that we see throughout history. 
you'll see all kinds of different ways that Jesus has been depicted. Uh, for me, I'm not a very good artist, but this actually makes me feel really good about my art skills. <laughs> I, I, I think that maybe I do have a little bit of a chance. Now, what's interesting, I want to show you this next picture. This is where people took AI and historians looked at what they think uh, Middle Eastern Jews back in the day looked like, and they made a realistic picture of Jesus. Now, obviously, we don't know for sure, but this is kind of their best guess as to what Jesus would look like. But I think the truth is, church, that regardless of what Jesus looked like, sometimes it's easy for us to mix up or forget who Jesus is. So that being said, I want to look at an aspect of Jesus, and the title of my message is Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Can you say that with me? Jesus is King. Now, uh, feel free to flip to Matthew chapter 8. That's where we'll be spending the first uh, little part of my talk here. Matthew chapter 8. But while you're going there, either in your phone or your physical Bible, uh, if we've never met, my name's Austin. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here. And let me tell you, we have got an incredible group of young adults and youth. Every single Wednesday, I get to hang out with around 100 youth, and uh, we just have a lot of fun. We actually just last weekend had an all-nighter. I'm still recovering from that. It's, uh, it's, it, was a wild, it was a wild night. We only had two students that slept the entire night, and they, they stayed up from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was impressed. I couldn't believe it. They were full of energy. Uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Jess, for a little bit over four years, and I've got to say from both of us, we've only been here in Moncton for a year, and we have been blown away by what an incredible family we found at Moncton Wesleyan. So I want to thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. Well, that's kind. Thank you. Thank you. All right, hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 8, so we'll start there. But first, let me pray. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this awesome opportunity to open up your word. Lord, I just ask that it wouldn't be my words, but that, God, you would move in this place, that we would walk out of here different. James reminds us to not just be listeners of the word, but to be doers of it. So, God, I just ask that uh, as we open up your word, as we learn who you are, Jesus, that that would impact us to the core. That, Lord, wherever we're at on our faith journey, whether we're a sold-out believer, we're unsure, maybe some skeptics in the room, Lord, I just ask that uh, this would be a time where we would learn together. God, thank you so much for the freedom to be in this place. Thank you for who you are because, God, your love truly changes everything. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. All right, the title of the story is Jesus Calms the Storm. Jesus comes the storm. And we'll start Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. It says, Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Now, I want to pause right there and say that sometimes we have misconceptions about who Jesus' disciples were. Sometimes we have misconceptions about who they are. Sometimes the paintings of the disciples paint them as uh, elderly gentlemen. But in reality, historians believe that the disciples were actually in their late teens, early 20s. So in some ways, Jesus was a youth and young adult pastor, right? Sometimes, and, and here's the thing, when you read all those crazy stories in the Gospels, now it all makes sense, right? It all makes sense. It's a youth pastor traveling around with his crew. But the reason I share that is because I hope that us as a church, and I know that us as a church, we believe in the next generation. We don't see them as just a youth group but as a future group of world changers. We've seen 10 students get baptized so far this year. 
We were at Caton's Island, and at Caton's Island, uh, a summer camp that the Wesleyan Church runs, we saw 60 decisions for Jesus. This generation is on fire for the gospel. Let's give it up for God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd also note that out of all of the full-time staff that are ministering uh, this summer, one-third of them are from Moncton Wesleyan. We see these students, these teens that are on fire for the Lord. And just like what we see in Scripture, know that our teens are capable of doing incredible things for God. So verse 23, his disciples followed him. Verse 24, let's keep going. It says, suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Verse 26, he replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want you to note that it says, what kind of man is this? Interestingly enough, even as the disciples saw all of these miracles, they still weren't quite sure who Jesus was. They said, what kind of man is this. Now we're going to skip a couple chapters and we're going to look at a similar story, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. This is where Jesus walks on water. So let's go there together, Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Let me pause there. Prayer is powerful. I want you to know that when you take things to God in prayer, when you talk to him, Something changes. Something absolutely changes. And Jesus shows that all throughout the Gospels, that prayer was such a pivotal part of his life. So he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Can you say, it is I with me? It is I, it is I. Did you catch that line? Jesus knew that there was something powerful about who he was. He didn't share a passage of scripture with them. He didn't share a piece of wisdom with them. He said, he saw that they were afraid and he said, it is is I. There was something powerful about who he was. Now, what's interesting is the Bible actually gives us 50 titles, over 50 titles of Jesus. Jesus is a lot of things. He brings us hope. I'm going to go ahead and list some of these. We've got a list of, all, of just a couple of the titles of Jesus. First, it says that Jesus is the Almighty One in Revelation 1.8. It says that he's the advocate in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He's a deliverer, 1 Thessalonians 1 through 10. Beloved Son of God, Matthew 3.17, he's faithful and true. He's the head of the church, an indescribable gift. He's a light in dark places. He's Lord over everything. He's the mighty one. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our Savior. Can you say Savior with me? Savior. He's our Savior. He's supreme creator over all. Jesus is all those things and more to each and every single one of you. But what I want to do is I want to look as we continue through the story at three things that Jesus says about himself, three things that we can learn from this story. The first piece of wisdom is that we need to not forget who Jesus is. Don't forget who Jesus is. Can you turn to your neighbor, look at them, and say, don't forget who Jesus is? Don't forget who Jesus is. 
It's a good reminder. Sometimes I think that we don't have a faith problem, church. Sometimes I don't think it's a faith problem, but rather I think we have a forgetfulness problem. I think it's so easy for us to forget that Jesus is our deliverer. He is our hope. He is our stronghold. He is the Prince of Peace in times of trouble. So what we see in this story is that Peter forgot who Jesus was. He forgot he was the miracle-working God. James 4, chapter 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If we draw close to God in times of troubles... If we don't forget who he is, it says in God's word that he will draw close to us. In verse 28, as we continue our story, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, note how he doesn't say it is you. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out and caught him, and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Note the fact that it says when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. I think in that moment, Peter was walking on water, he was fixated on Jesus, but as soon as he started to see the storm around him, all of a sudden his eyes got off of Jesus onto the storm and see how he began to sink. Church, can I just encourage you to never take your eyes off Jesus? There's going to be so many temptations in life that will get you distracted away from your creator, distracted away from the Prince of Peace. But if you don't have a forgetfulness problem, I don't believe that you'll have a faith problem. When times are tough, I hope you'll remember Jesus. When times are good, I hope you'll remember Jesus. Now, I, I want to talk through three things that are key to combating forgetfulness. I think that these three things, if you can apply them, it'll be very, very key. So number one is memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Can you say that with me? Memorize scripture. There's going to be a whole lot of lies thrown at you. There's going to be things in the world that are not true. There's going to be things that the enemy wants to share with you that are not true. But how are we supposed to combat lies if we don't know the truth of God's word? I would encourage you, Find a Bible verse that's key for you. Whatever you're going through, there's a promise that can combat that. For me, if I can get vulnerable, when I'm ever dealing with anxiety or fear, I know 2 Timothy 1.7 off by heart, that God did not give me a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you have no idea how often I recite that to myself. It's not that I have a great memory. It's not that uh, that comes easy to me. But rather, I know that when tough times come, I've got to have some truth to defend against the lies that the world is going to throw at me. The second thing is this. Get around great people. Get around great people. Can you say that with me? Get around great people. Psychology and psychologists will tell you that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time around. It's so easy to let circumstances dictate who our friends are rather than intentional living. So I would encourage you to make sure that you are intentional with those that you spend time with. That's why small groups are so important. That's why some of our ministries, that's why volunteering is so important. Getting plugged in makes a massive difference in your faith. The third is this, prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer. I think that when you're talking to God, when you're actively participating in conversations with him, it's so hard to forget who he is. What I love about Monkton Wesleyan is we're a church that prioritizes prayers. 
Every Tuesday and Thursday, we've got prayer groups that meet, and we see literal miracles in those times because prayer changes things. So firstly, we need to not forget who Jesus is, but the next thing that we see in the story is that Jesus saves and supports, that Jesus saves and supports. Can you say that with me? Jesus saves and supports. We see this in verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Psalm 46.1 gives us this incredible promise, church, that God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. It doesn't say that he's sometimes ready, that every now and again he's ready, that only when you're faithful to him he's ready. God's always ready to reach out his hand to you. Whether you've strayed away from him, whether you've been following him for years, God is always there outstretching his hand saying, welcome home. He calls you a child of the king. Welcome home. There's a pretty fun fact that God wants to wow you. I I truly believe that we serve an amazing God that wants to do amazing things in your life. That doesn't mean that life will always be easy, but God literally wants to wow you. I'd encourage you to pray bold and dangerous prayers. And what I mean by that is pray things that you don't even truly believe God can answer because God does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I I just hope that you'll expand your faith and allow God to wow you because he saves and supports you no matter what. Now, this was the moment that things finally clicked for the disciples. It finally clicked. It says in verse 33 that then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Something switched for the disciples. In the first story, we saw that they said, what type of man is this? But now they say, truly you are the son of God. Can you say son of God with me? Son of God. All of a sudden, they realize that Jesus truly is who he says he is. And that leads to the most important point today that we learn from this story. And that's the fact that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. There's a lie that's going around out there that Jesus is just a good guy. He's a good teacher. We can take life advice from him. But the reality is that Jesus is king. He's Lord over all. He's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. Revelation 19.16 says that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Fascinating enough, The word kingdom is used by Jesus 125 times throughout the gospel. Jesus mattered, or the kingdom mattered to Jesus. Over 125 times, Jesus emphasized this kingdom. Obviously, there was something important to to Jesus about the kingdom. I still remember to this day my high school teacher looking at me in a world religions class and saying, Austin, I don't think Jesus ever truly did claim to be God. I don't think that he claimed to be God. I don't think he ever explicitly shared that. But the reality is that beyond a doubt, Jesus claimed he was king, claimed that he was God, and he was Lord over all. Revelation 17, 14 backs this up as well. It says that Jesus is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. 
do you really believe that Jesus is king? And let me hammer this down in saying that do you not just believe it up here, but do you believe it in your heart and do you act like it? Do you have total allegiance to him? Do you truly act like Jesus is king? Because the truth is, church, that we live in an I society. It's not called a God phone. It's not called a we phone. It's not called an other-minded phone. It's called an iPhone. It's not called a ussy. It's called a selfie. We live in a world that's defined by me. I was reflecting on this recently, and imagine if we could go back 15, 20 years and tell one another that we would all have pages of the internet dedicated to ourselves. It's weird to think about, you know? It's very normal to have a Facebook profile or to be on Instagram, but imagine if we could go back and say, you know, you're gonna have a whole page dedicated just to you. It's strange, isn't it? And I think that's why sometimes in our culture, it's so easy for us to replace Jesus as king with I'm king. It's so easy for us to replace Jesus as king with this idol, this important thing in my life is king. At this point, I'm going to ask one of the props to be brought out from backstage. And I want to drive this point home by sharing the fact that I think all of us have a throne in our lives. I think for so many of us, this throne could represent who has our affection, who has our loyalty, who has our worship. And I think in theory, a lot of us will try to have Jesus on the throne of our lives, but I think what's easy is us saying, hey, Jesus, you can have the throne of my life, but then we get really comfortable in this chair, don't we? We get to make the decisions. We get to decide where our money goes. We get to decide, oh, well, is, is tithing really a, a biblical commandment? Do I, do I really need to serve? That addiction that I'm, I'm wrestling with, do I really need to give that up? There's these things in our lives that cause us to take a comfy seat on the throne. And, and here's the thing, we, we, don't, we don't obviously reject Jesus, but we kind of have him share the throne with us. So if we're, if we're sitting here in the throne that belongs to Jesus, maybe we have him uh, just, just kind of sit up here on the side, you know? Maybe he's trying, or we say, oh, well, Jesus, there's enough room, so you can, you can kind of get, get in here. And, and all of a sudden, you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who deserves the throne of our hearts, the throne of our minds, the throne of our finances. And all of a sudden, he's barely got any room on the throne because we get so comfortable here. We get so comfortable and we say, oh, well, no, Jesus, I, I can't give up this part of my life. Uh, and I'll, I'll ask for the second prop here. Uh, because w what happens is we come up with all these different excuses and maybe we say, oh, well, Jesus, I'm going to take this throne and I'm going to give you this really comfortable seat here. It's, it's the chair of honor. Jesus, just go ahead and sit here. And all of a sudden, again, you've got the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords on a beanbag chair that belongs to Pastor Liz Hoyt. And I didn't ask her if I could use it. So, Liz, thank you. And it's funny, but I, I think... So often, we do find Jesus in the beanbag chair instead of the throne of our lives. So often, there's things that we won't give up. There's things that we won't do. There's areas that we won't release to him. And for the Christians in the room, we, we don't truly act like Jesus died for us, and we have to lay down our lives in response to that. And instead of giving Jesus the place on his throne, 
we're the one in control, we're the one calling the shots, and we just give Jesus this little beanbag chair. And I hope that each and every single one of us, regardless of where we're on in our faith journey, will ask, where is Jesus at in my life? Does Jesus have full control over my finances, over my time, over my marriage, over my relationships, over the things that I say at work? Where does Jesus stand or sit in your life? I'd like to speak to the skeptics in the room as well. I think that as we think about the person of Jesus, my favorite analogy is C.S. Lewis's analogy of the three options that were given for Jesus. For people that are on the fence about this whole Jesus thing, really, Jesus only gives us three options. First, do you believe that Jesus is a con man? Because Jesus undoubtedly stated that he was Lord. Did he do all of this just to create fame for himself, fortune, neither of which he got because he died on a cross. So is Jesus a con man? Is he a liar? Because he claimed to be the son of God, so was he just cooking that up? The second option that Jesus gives us because of his words, are do we believe that Jesus is crazy? Do we believe that he is a lunatic? Because imagine if your youth pastor all of a sudden just said, hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of God. I hope that Pastor Jim or Joel would come and tackle me off the stage at that point because that's just lunacy. It's just crazy. But again, Jesus undoubtedly stated that he was the Son of God. So do we believe that he's crazy? If the answer is no to the con man, no to crazy, then at the end of the day, we have to believe that Jesus is king. At the end of the day, we have to believe that Jesus is king. And once we reach that reality, I truly believe this next statement in that either Jesus is king and that changes absolutely everything, or he's a con man who changes nothing. Because Jesus didn't invite himself into the world, he didn't die on a cross for us to just kind of like him, for us to just kind of pay a little bit of attention to him. He didn't just want to take the side of the armchair, he wants to be Lord of your life. One of my favorite quotes is from a man called Bruxy Cavey, who's the pastor of the Meeting House in Toronto, and he wrote a book called The End of Religion. It says this, I do not believe that all religions lead to God, because the truth is that no religion leads to God. Religion does not lead people to God any more than cups quench your thirst. The reality is that at the end of the day, Jesus is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can come to the Father except through him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And ultimately, is it a king to servant relationship? Is Jesus the Lord of every area of your life? I think that there's a, a couple different types of people in the room. I think that for some, you've been saved, but you've strayed. You've been saved, but you've strayed. I think maybe the throne analogy might have hit home and you're realizing that maybe I haven't given everything to Jesus. Maybe this pandemic has been really tough on my faith, and today's the day that I need to give the throne to the king. Another type of person is maybe the skeptic. We chatted about you earlier, and I want you to know that this is an incredibly safe place for you to be. We're welcoming, and we want you to know that you have a place here at Moncton Westland. But I would just take a moment and ask you, 
do you believe that Jesus is a con man? Do you believe that Jesus is crazy? Or do you believe that Jesus is king? Because those are the three options that Jesus gave us. Who do you believe that he is? Maybe today, not that you have everything figured out, but today could be the day that you make him king. Maybe another person is that you're half in, half out. Maybe church has been a little bit optional during this pandemic, and for you, you want to say today that Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, and you want to recommit your life to him. So we know that Jesus, beyond a reasonable doubt, is king. But my question for you today is, will you accept him? Will you make him king of your life? I preached a similar message at Caton's Island two weeks ago, and like I mentioned earlier, 60 people, 60 teens said, you know, I don't have it all figured out, but I want to make Jesus king. And I believe that there's people that are going to answer that same way here this morning. Because the beautiful thing about Jesus being king in your life is that it absolutely changes everything. It's the most incredible adventure that you can ever embark on. John 10.10 says that Jesus comes to bring life and life to the full. That through the highs and the lows that Jesus is there for you. John 3.17 says that God didn't send his son to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. I hope that you'll believe in him and know that there is no judgment against you, that Jesus died for you. So Jesus wants to save you. He wants to be your king. What we'll do is we're going to sing a song, and I'll be back out in a few moments to pray. But let's reflect on that truth as the band sings, that Jesus wants to be your king. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.